Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, I've mentioned to you that coming up with the start of school, we'll be in the little New Testament letter of Colossians. And so I encourage you to be studying through Colossians as we will be, be starting that series very soon. But this morning, find 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look this morning at the topic, the necessity of obedience in a Christian's life. Now, by that title, I certainly do not mean to imply that Naaman was a believer. Now, I think by the end of the story, he was uh, because he gave glory to God and recognized the God of Israel. But what a tremendous example his obedience is to you and me as believers. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 15. Verse 1 says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but... He was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with a prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent it to, sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? 
So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Father, we thank you for this tremendous story tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament about the value, the importance, the necessity of obedience. And I think of Jesus' words in the New Covenant in John 14 where he said, He that loves me will keep my commandments. And the one who keeps my commandments, I will come to him. And my Father and I will reveal ourselves to him. God, help us as believers to understand the importance of the application of your word in our everyday lives. As we look at our relationships, as we look at our work, as we look at everything that you bring into our lives, help us to understand that's an arena in which we are to live to your honor and glory and we're to obey you. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to give us a challenge today for for obedient living. You know, many of us come to church week in and week out, and oftentimes I fear that we do not truly grapple with the claims of Christ. At least not quite the way that we should. We might even think that by coming to church, we've paid God our dues. We've given Him a nod for the week and, hey, He ought to appreciate that. And so that ought to be good enough. You know, I think of oftentimes in the Old Testament how God's people would bring a sacrificial gift to God there at the temple and they would try to appease Him through the offering of those gifts and then they would go right back out in their lives and they would live the same old way. There would be no change in their lives. And so God said He was going to reject their gifts. And he was going to reject their worship. God's heart cry was that his people would truly know him in repentance and faith. And that then their worship and their gifts were the overflow of that. I want you to listen to what he said to his people through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 1. God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? 
Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your, your ways have become a burden to me. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Folks, the fact of the matter is God's commandments are given to us for our good. You see, they provide a framework for better living and for eternal life that we might know God. The first commandment that we need to obey to know God is that we would come to Him in repentance and faith in His Son experiencing salvation. In the book of 1 John, John writes, This is the command of God that you believe in the name of His only Son, the Lord Jesus. And so the Christian life begins with that obedience. It begins with that repentance and faith. And it continues that way. If we're going to experience life the way Christ intended for it to be experienced, we're going to have to obey God and listen to His Word and respond in obedience. And when we do that, we experience victory and greater intimacy with God. Now, folks, the flip side of that coin is true, too. If we choose to go our own way and ignore God, sooner or later, we're going to pay a high price. And I've seen that personally as a pastor, usually in the arena of marriages. A couple will come to me, and they'll be sitting there in my office, and they will be weeping because one of them or both of them has gone their own way instead of God's way, and somehow or another, they thought that they could get away with it. But now they're paying a price for their disobedience. Well, today I'm going to be asking you and me to make a fresh commitment to obedient living. And we're going to see how all of that plays out in 2 Kings chapter 5 with this man by the name of Naaman. Now, I need to kind of set a table this morning and let you know that we're going to spend a lot of time in the introduction before we actually get to the points of the message. But I want to begin by introducing to you something of the characters in this chapter and telling you a little bit about these characters. Right off the bat, we are introduced to a man by the name of Naaman. We're introduced to him there in verse 1 and we learn that Naaman was a very important man. In fact, he was in charge of all of the armies of Aram or Syria. 
Now Syria was a nation that was just to the northeast of Israel. It bordered Israel and Syria factors in a great deal in the Old Testament narrative and oftentimes Syria was one of Israel's most pesky adversaries. Today Syria continues to be in the news a great deal. We hear just about every week of what's going on in Syria with ISIS and with Assad killing his own people. And so Syria continues in the news even today in 2017. We see them factoring in very prominently on the world scene. The world scene in the Middle East that is. And Naaman we're told was the captain of their army. I suppose uh, that he would be much like today what we would call our secretary of defense. Naaman was the mad dog Mattis of Syria. I tell you what, you got to love that nickname for a secretary of defense, don't you? Mad dog, mad dog Mattis. Well, well, Naaman is the mad dog Mattis of Syria. And everywhere he goes in Syria, he is a hero. Probably after every single military conquest or victory, there's a big parade thrown in his honor. Well, likewise, we're told here that Naaman was a great and an honorable man in the eyes of his master, the king of Syria. The Bible tells us something there about his character, about his ability. He was a mighty man of valor. He was an honorable man. Now, granted, the king of Syria probably thought so highly of him because it was through Naaman that his armies had enjoyed such great success. But we're told that he enjoyed this success because the Lord had given victory to Syria through him. Oftentimes in the Old Testament we see God allowing Israel's neighbors to have victory over her as a way of disciplining his own people. And Syria was one such country that God would use that way. And Naaman was an instrument or a vessel in God's hands to do so. And so it was God, the God of Israel who had given Naaman his success. Now, folks, we need to understand something about this. If you have success in your life, if you have prosperity in your life, if you have good things that have happened or are happening to you in your life, it is because of God. We need to give credit where credit is due. James says in James chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no shifting shadows. And so as you look at your life and you look at all of the blessings of your life, You and I need to make certain that we know who those blessings come from. They come from God. You may say, well, it comes from me, from my intellect. Well, who gave you your brain? God did, didn't he? You might say it comes from my hard work, my work ethic, and my energy. Well, who gave you your energy? Who gave you your good health? God did. And so we need to give God credit. God had given Naaman great success. But over Naaman's life, regardless of the successful man that he was, regardless of the man of nobility that he was, there was a dark cloud that hung over his life and it was that dark cloud of the disease of leprosy. 
Leprosy was a horrible disease of the skin. It's still around today. It's rare. It's treatable. It's even curable. In Naaman's day, it wasn't. In Naaman's day, uh, leprosy was a death sentence. At bare minimum, it would mean that you would have to go outside of the city and you would have to live a very lonely existence. It wasn't until 1960 that a cure was found for leprosy. And by the way, we don't call it all the time. We don't call it leprosy anymore because of the psychological factor. They call it Hansen's disease because of G.A. Hansen, who is the man who discovered the causative bacteria behind leprosy. And so if you've got leprosy, it sounds a whole lot better to say you've got Hansen's disease rather than being called a leper. Leprosy deadened the nerve endings so that lepers were constantly hurting themselves or they were burning themselves. And they would end up with sores which would be very difficult to heal. And so on top of the skin condition, it was common to see somebody with oozing body sores in the more advanced conditions. The different parts of the body could literally rot off. Usually it would be parts of the body like the ears, the nose, the fingers, the toes. I've read in the worst cases the victim would hardly even be recognizable as a human being anymore. Folks, that's the type of disease that Naaman had. Now we don't know how advanced it was. We do know that he had been allowed to continue in his post so probably it was not in the final stages yet. But still a very serious condition. And then in verses 2 and 3, we meet this wonderful little slave girl. And I want you to think about this little slave girl for a moment because we tend too oftentimes to just pass right over her and we ignore her in the narrative. But I want you to think about this little slave girl. What if you had been captured by a foreign enemy and held as a captive? I'm sure she was a young lady with hopes and dreams of her own. But now all of her hopes and her dreams would have been interrupted by her captivity. And yet she wishes well for her master. Now folks, she's a wonderful example to us about a young lady who is not bitter. You know, Jesus said that we are to love our enemies, even those who despise us and say all manner of evil against us and do things bad against us. We are to love them and we are to pray for them and we are to wish them well. And this young lady is a model of that. She's one of the heroes in the story. So let's not pass over her. She's got a message of hope for Naaman. She tells Naaman's wife who in turn tells Naaman who then tells the king and the king says, Naaman, I want you to go. I want you to find help. And he sends Naaman to the king of Israel and along with sending Naaman, he gives him these big gifts. I've read that the gifts would amount something like a million dollars today. 
In verses 6 and 7, we meet the king of Israel who underscores for us just how serious leprosy was. He recognizes that leprosy was a hopeless condition and that he's not God who's able to heal. And so what in the world is he supposed to do about this situation? And so he interprets all this that the king of Syria is only trying to pick a fight with him. Well, folks, we read earlier how the whole story turns out. What are some principles here that we can apply to our lives today? You see, my purpose this morning is not simply to give you a history lesson out of the Bible on this man by the name of Naaman. What I want us to do, I want us to take this story out of the past, bring it into the present. Let's take it out of the thenness and bring it into the nowness. Let's look at it not simply from the wasness, but from the isness. First principle I want you to see with me today is the fact that the events of our lives give us an opportunity for obedience to God. The events of our lives give us the opportunity for obedience to God. And what I want you to understand is that God does not operate out of some vacuum in your life or my life. And this is a very important principle for us to understand because too often times we do not make a connection between the church pew on Sunday and the office chair on Monday. We do not make a connection between our meeting with God in the morning and our sales meeting that afternoon. We might think, well, one is my church life, the other is my real life. You ever heard anybody talk that way before? Folks, you and I need to understand it's through life and through the circumstances of life where we learn about God and where we learn about obedience to God. When we get up off of our knees in the morning, we need to pay very close attention to where our feet take us for the rest of the day. It's in life itself where our faith is played out. There's a famous line from Shakespeare. For Shakespeare said, all of the world is a stage. And you and I need to see that all of the world is a stage, so to speak, where our obedience to God is played out in the nitty-gritty events of everyday life. Folks, it's not hard to be a Christian at church. We put on our Sunday dress. We smile at everybody. We look all nice and pretty and people look at us and conclude, what a nice family, what a nice gentleman, what a nice lady. But what about us in real life? Some say, preacher, I'm in a tough marriage. Others say, preacher, you don't understand the difficult boss that I have. That's true, but I do know this from the Word of God that it is in those very circumstances and situations in your life where God calls you to obey Him. Adonair Judson is a man that if you read anything about modern missions, you know all about Adonair Judson. Tremendous missionary in modern days. By the way, speaking of missions, let me 
uh, let me commend you on something. I've gotten a letter from Kevin Ezell, North American Mission Board, that of, out of all of our 81 churches among the Cabarrus Baptist Association, you have led the way once again. This is probably the 10th year now, if not even more. Uh, you've led the way in mission giving to North American missions. And so you're to be commended for that, for your missionary heart and missionary giving. Well, Adoniram Judson was a great missionary and and he knew that God had called him into the ministry and so Adoniram Judson went away to uh, college and then seminary and when he was getting ready to graduate from seminary one of the most prominent churches in Boston called him to be their minister. Everybody congratulated him. Such a large, prestigious church to call a man right out of seminary. Everybody was patting him on the back. His family was congratulating him. His mom and his sisters were tickled to death that he was going to be right there around them nearby so they could visit with him on a constant basis. And Adoniram Judson shocked everybody when he let them know he was not going to accept that call. God was calling him to the mission field in Burma. People couldn't believe it. I tell you something, 50,000 converts eventually in Burma are a testimony to Adoniram Judson's obedience. He went where God called him, he obeyed. I want you to think also about Abraham. Abraham in the book of Genesis, the narrative about Abraham begins in Genesis chapter 12 where God called him to leave the country where he was and go to a new land and there God was going to build a new people out of him. And Abraham and Sarah, they waited all of those years for a son and finally in their old age that baby boy came along, Isaac, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take that boy up to Mount Moriah and there on Mount Moriah, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham obeyed. It's squarely in the middle of the circumstances of your life where you're called to obey. Obedience is going to involve your relationships. It's going to involve your future. It's going to involve your work. It's going to involve your family. It's going to involve your money. Obedience takes place in the everyday nitty gritty of life. And folks, I emphasize that because too often it seems God's people come to church. We sing about obedience. We pray about obedience. We teach about obedience. But then we never seem to make the connection with our everyday lives. I mentioned marriage a moment ago. What about marriage? So oftentimes we do marriage our way instead of God's way. We never seem to make the connection between obedience and the man at work who's difficult to get along with. We talk about obedience, but then some of us have never even one time in our Christian lives shared our faith in Jesus Christ with anybody else, despite the fact that that is the last commandment that Jesus gave to his church, the Great Commission. I like what D. James Kennedy used to say. Because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're not being a fisher of men, then who are you following? Because you must not be following Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, here's what I'm going to do in your life. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And yet we'll talk about the Great Commission and then we'll turn around and we'll never share Christ with anybody. Maybe there's nobody we're even praying for that they would be saved. 
we'll talk about obedience. And yet we won't give God of our resources that one-tenth that He asked for. We'll talk about obedience. And yet we'll be so slack in our church attendance when the Bible commands us in Hebrews 10 that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. God is worthy of our worship. We'll prepare a Sunday school lesson on obedience. And there'll be a brother or sister in our lives that's done something against us and we refuse to forgive them. As the black preachers would say, I'm getting all up in your Kool-Aid this morning. And I can keep stirring that Kool-Aid too. But you know what I'm saying? It is in the circumstances of life, the situations of life, the trials of life, the relationships of life where obedience to God has got to be played out. How about you? Think of your relationships right now. Think of your circumstances. Think of your work. Think of your service in church. God's told us in church, we've got, if you're a saved child of God, you've got a spiritual gift and you're to be using that gift for the building up of the body of Christ. And so you've got a ministry inside of the walls of the church and you've got a mission outside of the walls of the church to a lost and dying world. What about, what about obedience in your life? Let's get real personal about it. We talk about the church doing these things. Who's the church? You're the church and I'm the church. So put your name on these dotted lines. God teaches you and me at church and he tugs on our heart in our, in our devotion time, for example. But again, it's in these everyday events where you and I have got to put all this into practice. Naaman's everyday experience was the pain and the suffering of his leprosy because every day of his life, a little bit more of his life's blood was being poured out. The death clock is ticking. And here Naaman was presented with an invitation to obedience. But folks, it wasn't just an invitation to obedience. It was an opportunity for obedience. You and I don't just have the invitation. We have the opportunity. Now what is it that God wished Naaman to learn? He wanted Naaman to learn that the God of Israel was the only God. You see, it's in and through obedience that people learn about God and who God is and what God can do. For example, God called me to preach when I was 19 years old. If through my obedience you just simply learn a little bit more about me, then my preaching has been a colossal waste of time. But if through my preaching you you learn about Jesus Christ then all glory goes to him and that's what it's to be about so through your obedience and whatever God's called you to do as you do that as you carry out God's call on your life and people see Christ in you and give him glory folks that's the point and that's what Naaman needed to see 
That's why Romans 10 says how beautiful are the feet of those who come preaching the good news. Because through, the, through those who go, through those just like you and me who go, and he says beautiful are the feet of those who go, people hear. And by hearing they listen, some listen. And by listening, some believe. And by believing they're, they're saved and their lives are changed. There's, there's a chain of events going on there in Romans 10. And it starts with you and I being obedient to God and doing what God's called us to do. Obedience. The events of our lives give us an opportunity for obedience to God. Secondly this morning, I want to say forget about how you think the situation should be handled. Forget about how you think the situation should be handled. In verse 9, notice what he says there uh, in, in verse 9. Uh, Back up to verse 8. But when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought. Circle that. I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman's got all these ideas. Naaman wanted to do things his way. He's got all this figured out about how the order of events are supposed to be. And he's mad as a wet hen because Elisha doesn't even bother to come out to him in person. Here's Naaman. He rides up in front of Elisha's house with his entourage. One writer says it would have looked like a presidential motorcade pulling into a middle class neighborhood. He would have stood out like a sore thumb. After all, he's important back home. He thinks, I'll get to Elisha's house. Elisha's going to come out. And Elisha's going to go through some big religious ritual. Some big show of religion, ceremony and pomp and circumstance. I mean, it's going to be a big deal. He's going to wave this hand and that hand and, and shake this foot and that foot. And sprinkle a little incense here or there and wave something and pronounce something over me. And I'm going to be healed. I'll never forget as a 10 or 11 year old boy growing up in Charlotte through my dad's work one of his best friends when his company would have these big get togethers and all people would come in from different regions good friend of his was from Philadelphia and we would go up to Philadelphia to see them they would come down and visit us when we were up in Philadelphia visiting them one time like I say I was only probably 10 years old they were Catholics and I went to church with them and obviously it was a pre-Vatican II Catholic church. Everything was still very traditional. They said the mass in Latin. The, the priest would wave the incense and all kinds of chants. And, 
And in the service, all of a sudden, they would jump up from their pew and they'd be down on the kneeling bench. Well, I, I wouldn't understand what was going on, so I'd follow suit. I'd go down to the kneeling bench. Time I got down, they'd got up. I'd get back up, they'd got back down again. <laughs> they'd say, the Lord bless you. I'd say, Lord bless you. But by then, they were saying, amen. I mean, I was lost through that whole service. All that pomp and circum, circumstance that was going on, I had no idea what was going on. And that's what Naaman is expecting. He's expecting that Elisha's going to come out and do all this. Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Could you imagine a motorcade of a world dignitary pulling up in front of your house today and you don't even go out to greet them? You say, how rude. No, you wasn't being rude. Because again, he's trying to prove a point. It's not the prophet, it's not the man he wants Naaman to see God. That's why he sends his servant out. Elisha's got the attitude of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? When everybody said about John, John, do you realize they're not following you? They're following Jesus now? And John responded by saying, don't you understand? I've got to decrease. He must increase. That's what Elisha's doing. And so Elisha simply sends the messenger to the door and the messenger says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. A couple of things don't make sense here. First of all, the Jordan. Have you seen the Jordan? Some of you have. At least when it's not in flood stage, it's basically a muddy creek. Now, it factors prominently into the Old Testament story. They crossed the Jordan in flood stage going into the promised land. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. John the Baptist was baptized in the Jordan. Factors in very importantly in the, in the biblical narrative. But there's nothing impressive about the Jordan. I remember David Fink talking about visiting. Um, I believe they were in Houston. And while they were in Houston, Texas. They were going to go down and see the Rio Grande. He'd always wanted to see the Rio Grande. The mighty rushing Rio Grande. You know... Five times the size of the Mississippi or something. He thought he got down there and he said, Scott, basically it's a little creek and the kids were jumping across to and fro from it. <laughs> That's how the Jordan, Jordan, don't we have better rivers back in Samaria and dip seven times? What is all of that about? But the river wasn't the point. Obedience was the point. Sometimes God bypasses the easiest way for us, the most logical way. He might bypass what seems most convenient in order to test us to see if we're really willing to follow him. I think of the story of Charles Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world, Charles Spurgeon would preach to 10,000 people a week. He started pastoring that church when he was just 19 years old. They would transcribe his messages, 25,000 copies, hand transcribed every week. He also had an orphanage. He was raising money for an orphanage on one occasion. He went to Bristol, England, and he got all the money that he needed, but he could not sleep that night. Tossed and turned. 
He knew God wanted him to give all that money to George Mueller. George Mueller also famous for orphanages. George Mueller had a principle in mind. He would never ask for money. He would pray, tell God his needs, and, and wait on God to supply. If God did not supply the need, he would close down an orphanage and conclude it was God's will for that orphanage to close. But he never had to do that because the money always came in. They said when George Mueller died, millions of dollars had come through his hands, and he himself died a pauper. Charles Spurgeon couldn't sleep. He knew what he had to do the next day. He wrestled with it. But he went to see George Mueller the next day. He gave him all the money that he had just raised. He went back home and he was wondering, God, what are you up to? He got to his office there at the church. He opened his mail. There was a letter there. And inside of that letter, there was a check for the exact amount of money that he had just given away. Sometimes things don't make sense to us. God asks us to do something doesn't seem logical, but he's testing us. Folks, listen, when God tells us to do something in his word, we've got to do it God's way. We've got to remember Isaiah 55 where the scripture says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Think about salvation. Perfectly logical what the Muslim thinks. If I die and there's more checks in the good column than the bad column, if I've been more good than bad, I'll go to heaven. Tragically, too many people running around even in the church with Muslim theology instead of Christian theology. We witness to people and they have that mindset Oh, preacher, I'm a good person. And if I just die, if I keep doing good and love my neighbor as myself and have enough good deeds, hey, I'll make it. And the Bible says, no, you won't. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, the Bible says all of our good deeds, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God. There had to be a perfect sin sacrifice, Jesus Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not ten ways of salvation. There's not two ways of salvation. There's one way of salvation, and his name is Jesus. You come his way or you don't come at all. You don't make heaven. I don't care how logical good works may seem. You go God's way. Or you don't make it. There's Philip in Acts 8 preaching in a revival up in Samaria. Things are going great. And God says to Philip, Philip, I want you to go to that road that leads down to Gaza, not even the main highway. I want you to take the desert road at noon. What sense does that make? And yet God had a divine appointment for him. Because there was the Ethiopian eunuch. God talked about how God had set this whole thing up. That Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. 
All we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? No, how can I unless somebody interprets it for me? And the Bible says he gets up in the chariot and beginning with that text, he preaches Jesus to that eunuch and the eunuch gets saved. Makes sense to leave a revival, to go there? Yeah, in God's way of thinking because God had a divine appointment for him. Folks, as you're faced with things and you're trying to reason out solutions, look to God's Word. God's Word may have you do something that doesn't, at first blush, seem to make sense. But God's Word always gives you and me the way to go. Forget about how you think it's supposed to be handled. Thirdly, and very quickly, failure to obey God may cost you the very thing that you desire. What was Naaman's desire? It was to be cleansed and to be healed. And God was willing to do it. But because Naaman didn't like what God was asking, Naaman turned away in anger and unbelief. Folks, thank God that Naaman had some very common sense servants. Look at what they tell him in verse 13. He listens to them. Now what if this story would have ended at verse 12? Naaman would have died a leper. What if Naaman would have dipped four times? He would have died a leper. Five times, six times, he would have died a leper. But he dipped seven times and he came up clean. Obedience to God was the key to victory in Naaman's life. It's the same with you. It's the same with me. You read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and consistently what do we see? We see that God blesses obedience. Now what about your life? Where's God calling you to obey? Is God, has God been knocking on the door of your heart? Jesus standing there and, and convicting you of your sin and wanting entry and you to open the door of your heart and believe upon Him. You have nothing to gain and everything to lose by putting that off. What about some situation you're faced with at work? I mentioned marriage a while ago. Could I be speaking to you in your marriage? You need to do marriage God's way versus man's way. What are you dealing with in your life? What is it that you need to surrender? Even if it doesn't, you don't, God just, this doesn't make sense to me. But will you do things God's way? And folks, when you leave church this morning, I want you to remember that everything you and I do this week, every relationship we have, every opportunity, every event that we're engaged in is an opportunity for your faith and my faith to be lived out and demonstrated. It's an opportunity for you and me to obey God and through our obedience, hopefully, somebody will see Jesus in us and what Jesus is able to do. Let's pray together.
Father, again, we thank you for this beautiful narrative tucked inside the pages of the Old Testament. Wonderful characters. Characters that you loved and had a plan for their lives. And Lord, we thank you for what Naaman ended up saying. He ended up confessing there's only one God. The God of Israel is the only God. Lord, thank you for the way all the pieces came together. And how you and your sovereignty, you orchestrated everything. But Lord, we're the ones in the arena now. We're the ones with difficult trials. Some people face difficult relationships in the home, at work, at school. Lord, as people who confess the name of Christ, I pray that we would walk in obedience to you. In fact, according to 1 John, if we say with our lips that we know you and we consistently don't obey you then we're not really believers to start with help us to obey you to follow you to give glory to you I pray for that one who needs to obey you right now and come to Christ I pray for that marriage I pray for that man who perhaps needs to go to a brother Maybe somebody even from his past. Some neighbor perhaps that did him wrong and he needs to get that right. God, you know all the situations. If I go trying to list them all out, I'd I'd forget something. But you know people's hearts. God, I pray that we would not do things the way we think but what you tell us to do help us to follow you Lord I'm excited if we'll do that the testimony will end up being so give your people strength give them wisdom give them grace and Lord bring victory in their lives through obedience for your name's sake It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.